Welcome to Unconditional Love with Bishop Malcolm Smith. This is webinar episode 102, recorded June 18th, 2013. The time has come. Lord be with you. I want to sit down and share with you tonight um, from Mark's Gospel in chapter 6. It's uh, in verse 37. And that's in the middle of the story that Jesus um, uh, turns the loaves and the fishes in enough to feed uh, 5,000 men. And of course, it says, and women and children. So it's approximately 15,000 people. And th this story comes down to this one verse. It's the most important verse in our understanding what's going on here. And uh, many people overlook it. I'll just give you this verse, verse 37. And he answered and said to the disciples, you give them something to eat. That, that's the key to this. You give them something to eat. Incidentally, as we look at this story, you might have seen um, movies on the life of Christ that allegedly would try to deal with this story. You might have seen it on television. Um, please, would you forget it? Um, they, they tried to make this into almost a, a magic wonder, magic trick. Uh, and and it, as we go through this story, it might be very different to the way you have heard the story. But this is what the Bible says. This is the gospel story of Jesus turning... Um, five loaves and two fishes into enough food to feed that multitude. But, I say, the whole thing hinges there on verse 37. Jesus said to the twelve disciples, you give the people something to eat. Okay, hold that in mind. We've, we've got to understand what the Gospels are really all about. Please don't assume that you know what I'm going to say. Um, because in reading the Gospels, many persons see the, these stories of the Gospels and indeed the teaching of Jesus, uh, these wonders, or you might use the word miracles, that took place. Uh, we look at them as Jesus doing these wonders in order to prove that he is the Son of God. Uh, when I was very young and went to Bible school, that essentially is what they taught me, that all these miracles of Jesus, they simply prove that he is the Son of God. And having proved it and having wowed us with these miracles, then he went back to heaven. Now, let, let me maybe shock you in saying that is not what is happening here, let me put it this way, in Jesus, and, and we know that Jesus is God, God the Son, and he has taken on the limitations of our humanness. He becomes absolutely one with us, a human among humans, and, and never ceasing to be God. But in so doing, he comes with a specific purpose. And you could say that purpose was to bring salvation, which is much vaster than our being saved from sin. That takes in, uh, salvation takes in our entire person, and it takes in our deliverance from everything that sin and Satan has done to the human race. And yes, Jesus came to achieve that, to demonstrate that. He came to bring the peace of God, heaven's peace upon earth. And that word peace in the Old Testament uh, is as big as the word salvation. God's harmony, God's health, God's life, as well as total peace. Uh, absence of fear and anxiety. Yes, he came to do that and demonstrate it. Um, and I could keep going. 
maybe the one phrase that shockingly sums up what Jesus came to do and what he was doing in the gospel is that he came to bring heaven to earth. And when we say heaven, we we mean the God place. We mean uh, that dimension which is the most uh, immediate and visible dwelling of, of the presence of God. And all that God is, his entire riches summed up in his love toward us. Jesus came to bring the will of heaven to earth. And when the Bible uses that word will, it means that which God wants. And when I say wants, the only way in English I can say it is to put the emphasis there. But in other languages, we might be able to show that the actual word meant with absolute intensity of being he wants he delights in he he wills to give to us the fullness of his love that fills the heavens and jesus is god come to earth to show us what god is really like and to bring heaven to bring all that love would do for us to bring that to earth and bring it right into our earthly lives and into the ordinary and the mundane and the everyday of our lives. Not only then to deliver us from where the darkness has put us, not only to snap the shackles of Satan, not only to bring forgiveness and freedom from shame, all of that, but also then to bring the positive, all that love would give to us. He came to do that. Actually, he taught us to pray that that would continue to happen in what we call the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, I would like you to erase from your mind any idea that the will of God is sort of secret orders for your life. People are so, what, imprisoned, chained uh, by a religious view of that word, as if God has a rigid, um, fateful purpose, and you have to find that and he's hidden it good, but you have to find it, and having found it, you have to walk like a robot in it, because you've got to do the will of God, and if you, Lord help us, if you get out of the will of God, then you're in a permissive will. You've heard all of that religious rubbish. No, the will of God is what God wants, or you could say the will of God is what love desires to pour into your life. And that that I, having received, should now give that away. Oh, your will be done. Let it be made manifest on earth as it is in heaven. For on earth is where we have seen and have been subject to the will of Satan and the will of the darkness. Now Jesus comes to destroy the works of the devil and to bring about a new order of things altogether, which is that the will, the desire, the delight, the joy, the happiness of God be done on earth as it is in heaven. And in that, all of his wonders, all of his teachings... They, they are pointing toward that. And so when he said to the person, your sins are forgiven you, when, when he took those, uh, the prostitutes that we find um, and, and elevated them to be among his disciples and, and cast out demons and dismissed shame from people, that's the will of God, that's his delight. When he healed the sick forever, he has shown us this is his will, this is his delight. And when we come to things like this, where there is need of provision, even though that provision was not necessarily in the realm of crisis, but 
God's love would come into the most ordinary, the most everyday parts of our life and just shower us with his love, which is always an abundance and overspilling love. But Jesus came to do that and having done it to then have it continue on earth as it is in heaven. You could say Jesus was the first true man of a whole new human race. Jesus was the first one to describe to us and to model for us a new way of living and a new way of handling problems. And so what he was doing with the disciples was actually teaching them how to live this life of heaven on earth. And they, in turn, were to teach others how to live this life. And they actually wrote the Gospels in order that we might be taught how to live this life. No, Jesus did not come to do some sort of religious circus wonders and shaboom, he does it and then he ascends and off he goes. And we're left with this historical record of three years of wonders. But of course, our theologians assure us that could never happen again. Whereas, as I read the scriptures, as I read the the gospel specifically, He was teaching the disciples, this is how you do it. And having taught them, he gave them hands on that they might do it so that in his going away, he actually would remain on earth by his Holy Spirit in believers. And you and I are the latest edition of believers We are the latest edition of those who are bringing about the will of God on earth as it is in heaven. And Jesus had already done this. You know, uh, I I don't know if you're um, fully swallowing what I'm saying right now. Read the Gospels and, and see how Jesus was teaching the disciples to do what he did. And of course, at the end, just before he went to suffering and death, he said, did he not say the works or the miracles that I do, you shall do also and greater works than these shall you do. So it it doesn't seem like he was doing those works as an isolated moment in history to prove he was the Son of God. He was doing those works to teach the disciples to do the same and then sending them into the world to reproduce himself. And as I say, you and I are the latest edition of those disciples who are to go into our world at this point in history to reproduce Jesus, to be the race of those who began in him and live by his life and act in his authority, doing his works. And as I say, just before this that we're reading here, Jesus had sent out these disciples on a mission I I don't hear too much preaching about it, but if you read the Gospels, you will find it happened more than once. He sent them out. That is, he didn't go with them. Hear me carefully. He didn't go with them. He sent them out and sent them with his authority, bestowing upon them the power of his Holy Spirit and told them to go preach go into all the villages and heal the sick and cast out demons. Now, now hold it. I, I thought Jesus was the only one who could do that. No, he had trained the disciples to do that. Do you remember on another occasion, 
when he was not there and when he came the disciples were having a bit of a problem with the demon possessed person and their question to him enlightens us on this they said why couldn't we cast the demon out do you remember that meaning every other time that we've commanded demons to depart in your name they've departed this one didn't that's another story. But do you see what I'm getting at? They, these disciples, they, they were not just little Sunday school children sitting listening to Jesus tell his stories and then watching him while he worked. They were his hands-on assistants. He was teaching them to do the same as he was doing. And on this occasion, they've gone off and away on a sort of evangelistic tour, uh, going into the villages and towns of Israel where Jesus had not gone, and they were proclaiming the kingdom of God, they were healing the sick, they were casting out devils, and all of this long before Pentecost, long before the church of the Acts of the Apostles. Now they've come back. And they are beside themselves with excitement. They say, you should have seen what we saw. Demons fled when we commanded them out, and the sick were healed. It was was amazing. And Jesus listens to them with delight. The teacher listening to his students. They've, They've had a foretaste, just a taste of what is going to happen on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit will come into them and they will operate in the name of the Lord Jesus. But, and Mark especially points it out, that um, there were so many people. They, these fellows, they, 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 they are so excited, but after that kind of a mission, they're, they're also exhausted and when they come back to where Jesus is, it marks as people were coming and going. There wasn't a minute even to eat the lunch. And so Jesus said, look, boys, it's time we had a day off. I mean, I, I need to hear your stories and you need to hear what I have to say um, about what's happened. We, we need a day alone And so early in the morning, they get into their boat and they sail across the Lake of Galilee. And on the other side is a pretty remote place. And they could be alone there, you know, where where no one will know where they are. And they can just have a day of relaxation and visiting and questioning. And, well, somebody saw them take off and they... Watch the way the boat is going. Take a guess and they start running all around that great lake. And as they go, they're telling everybody he's going to be over there. And by the time the boat lands on the sandy shore, the other side of the lake, here come the people streaming over the hills. Have you ever had a day like that? when you had planned vacation, when you'd planned day off, and as you are just settling into the luxury of a day off, you are surrounded with demands and problems that you cannot escape. Well, I suppose you could have escaped. You could have done a U-turn in the boat and gone somewhere else. But it says that when Jesus saw all of these people streaming over the hills to where they were, he was moved with compassion. And I can see the disciples looking one at each other, raising their eyebrows. They know what they're in for. Kiss goodbye to a day off. And as the people come, it says that Jesus began to teach them and to heal them. And so the sun came to noon and then began to decline and it's getting toward late afternoon and no one's eaten and so the subject comes up these people are hungry it's quite a walk back to the nearest village and some of these people did not come from the nearest village they came from far off on the other side of the lake 
And, and, and so uh, we, we've got to do something here. And, and the disciples' summation of the situation was the best thing we can do is get rid of these people. They've been here long enough. Send them home. It's still enough daylight left for them to make the trek home and that will get what's becoming a burden off of our shoulders. And that is when Jesus turned to them and said, you give them something to eat. Now, now weigh that. It's very important to understand what's going on here. What, what's Jesus doing? You give them something. You give them something to eat. See, we, we always teach and say that Jesus did this miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. He did up to a point, but his, what, what he was doing in this miracle was stretching the faith of the disciples and he was going to teach them how to address a need like this. You give them to eat. He didn't say, now, watch what I'm going to do. Please hear me. He didn't say, look, I'm going to feed these people. You watch me and I will teach you something else of how to live this life. No, he assumes they've been around him long enough that they should know the direction to take in order to feed these people with a heavenly meal, could I say? You give them to eat. This is classes in session. This is not just a miracle, you understand. This is not just a miracle. It is a classroom in which the disciples are being taught hands-on how to do things like this. You give them something to eat. Jesus puts the whole thing in their lap. And I might anticipate by saying that they will not only learn how to address this need, but they will learn a principle of faith, a principle of action by which under any situation they can bring heaven's supply into earth's need. You give them to eat. Well, their immediate response and I might say that it would be good in your leisure time to read Matthew 14, and, and verse 16 would be our text there, but you can read the whole story. Luke chapter 9 and verse 13, uh, and again the whole story around it, and John chapter 6, and, and get the feel of this, get the feel of it, that they turn immediately to their senses, that is, my, what I can see, what I can smell and taste and touch, the five senses. And, and they think in categories of natural resource, just like all their ancestors did. And why wouldn't they? Although one does think maybe they should have been around Jesus long enough by now to know there's more to it than that. But they look to their natural resources, and their natural resources take in the enormity of the situation, which was a situation that has become a problem now, because Jesus is not going to send them home. That would be so easy. Get rid of them. I mean, good grief, they've been here all day. Uh, get rid of them. Go home, would you? No, Jesus said, you give them to eat. So, in a sense, Jesus has backed these disciples into a corner and he's given them a problem. You give these people to eat. And, and to underscore what I'm saying, uh, as I said a moment ago, um, we're not saying that these were in a trackless desert, uh, you know, hundreds of miles from home and they're going to starve. no. They, they had walked here from their home early this morning. Their home can be walked back to with only minor difficulty. 
Uh, and yeah, they'll be hungry, but who hasn't been? And especially there in the near Middle East. Uh, in actual fact, I have been to this spot exactly. I've stood on that hillside where all this happened. And, and you can see across the lake. I mean, it, it's, you can see the see Capernaum and you can see those places where these people came from. It's not far. So Jesus was not about to bring this miracle to pass because of some terrible life and death crisis. It was an opportunity, I say again, to stretch the faith of the disciples, to bring them to a new level of maturity in knowing how a human being under the authority of Jesus and in the strength of the Spirit can bring heaven to earth. That's what it was about. But they, they don't see that. And so they turn immediately to their natural resources. They take in 15,000 people, 5,000 men, good grief. Just, just to feed 5,000 men, let alone the wife and the kids. And, and, and Philip, the disciple Philip, he seems to be the sort of brain among them. If he'd have had a, a calculator, he would have got it out and made some quick calculations because he came up and he said, you know, even if we could find some way to buy the food, it, it would take approximately a year's wages of a laboring man to buy enough food, and really and truly, that, that wouldn't buy enough for everybody to have a, a jolly good meal. But he's shaking his head. I mean, number one, we, we don't have that kind of money to buy the food. And you just said you give them to eat. And of course then looking for natural resources, where would we buy this food? The only place we could buy this food, perhaps, is where these people come from. So we'd have to go back to where they come from, buy the food and bring it back here. And I'm not sure that any of those villages back there or towns would have that kind of food for sale. And the other disciples are checking out the crowd. Does anybody have any food? I mean, maybe if you... But that was sort of silly. Who's going to go around with, with great uh, boxes of food when you were uh, suddenly told he's over there and you dropped everything and ran to, to be there? So you're not liable to take enough food for your own family, let alone to share with anyone else. They're coming up blank all the time. What was a rather uh, non-wanted idea at the beginning is now becoming a burden of, of Jesus telling them to do the impossible. You give them to eat. Jesus, there's no way we can give them to eat. No way. And then Andrew came, and I think Andrew had reached the end of his rope. Now, you may disagree with me on this, um, and that's okay. It's not vital. But, but as I see, Andrew came with this little kid, uh, and he, he had what would appear to be his lunch, um, five loaves and two fishes. And please, as I've said many times when commenting on this, uh, he was a little boy, and he was carrying five loaves and two fishes. Please, you are not thinking of great big loaves that you'd buy in the supermarket, nor are you thinking of enormous fish. Th these would be um, something like here in Texas, um, the little tortillas, um, the, the, the little wraps, uh, Loaves may be, but they would be very small cakes, if, if not. Uh, I mean, there would be a loaf in that sense, but it would just be a cake that a boy could make sandwiches out of. And, and, and the fish, they would be little fish. I mean, the boy has been carrying this with him all day. 
it was it was very it was enough just something you put in a wrapped handkerchief and throw on your belt or whatever and, and I, I, Andrew said this is it this is it boys I, I've been through the crowd there's no food there <laughs> only this and I can almost hear a mocking tone in his voice uh, if this is it this is it five loaves and two fishes I brought this boy just to show you that we're in an impossible situation. This is the best we can do. Five loaves and two fishes meant for a boy's lunch to feed 15,000 people. I've had it, boys. I've had it. This is all we can do. And this underscores the problem. In fact, this boy with five loaves and two fishes announcing this is all we have in the whole place, that only becomes a symbol of the problem. This is how crazy this is. It's a symbol of the problem. They are hungry themselves. Remember, they've been there since early this morning. They're frustrated. They're very tired. They were tired this morning, and that's why they were going to have a day off, <laughs> some day off. And look how it's ending. And they're confused. Why, why would Jesus put us down in the middle of an impossible situation and tell us to solve it when it's unsolvable? And that was their report to Jesus. They, that's the sum total of what their senses, their intellectual position on the whole matter. That's, what, that, that's it. And then they threw it in. And there's this kid with five loaves and two fishes. That, that's all we got. Now, Jesus did not see... This is very important. Jesus did not see the five loaves and two fishes as a symbol of the hopelessness of the situation. There is no doubt that five loaves, two fishes did sum up the situation. But the disciples saw it as a summing up to become a symbol of the impossibility of the whole thing. But Jesus saw five loaves and two fishes, the only food in the entire place. Jesus saw that as his point of entry into bringing heaven's provision the unlimitedness of God's love and, and that love in form of power. These five loaves and two fishes were the point of entry to bring that love power right down onto that hillside and to change the whole situation. He saw five loaves and two fishes as the doorway to teaching everybody, but especially these disciples, heaven's or God-presence place, his passionate, passionate interest and involvement in the problems of earth. And I mean the mundane, ordinary problems of peasants and fisher folk and shepherds from around the Galilee. God, Abba, so passionately love, interest, involved, that he will come through five loaves and two fishes and show them that love. Jesus said, bring, bring those to me. He, he's taken over. Only after he has brought the disciples who are really what this is all about. This is the first part of their lesson to understand the absolute impossibility of this situation from a natural point of view. The impotency of the human to do anything about this. Okay, you got that. 
now bring me this boy. And, and he takes the five loaves and the two fishes. And he says then, organize the people. Have them sit down in, in groups. And, and Mark, who has a... With, with, like he had a photograph because he says it was the green grass and he the, the people sat down and in their bright colored robes of the Middle East he, he describes it in the original language anyway as if there were flower beds on the green grass they were sitting there in companies of 50 and 100 basically family groups or groups of friends and obviously sitting in such a fashion that, that they'd be, have easy access to them, to serve them. And, and immediately, you know, it's pretty obvious what's going on here. Uh, we, they, they were being organized so that they could eat. They're, they're just the fact of how we're now being sat down and the pathways between the groups, uh, there's going to be food served. And so the, the level of expectancy and anticipation and the saliva glands all begin to get work over time. There's going to be food. And they're getting ready and expectant just by the fact they've been sat down in this fashion. And then Jesus takes these five loaves and two fish, which he could take in, in his two hands. And it says that he gave thanks. That the biblical meaning of giving thanks throughout the New Testament, you'll read it many times. You and everything give thanks, give thanks. And Jesus here gave thanks. Uh, it, it is to give thanks to God. It's not so much as we would give thanks for something or to say thank you. No, this is summing up all those words in the Old Testament of praise and rejoicing in the Lord and be glad in the Lord. Uh, thanksgiving sums all that up. It's a word that means I am thanking God for being the kind of God he is. I am thanking God because he is love and thanking him because he has entered into a covenant with us and bound himself to be our salvation and our blessing and our peace which extends to my spirit but also to my mind my emotions and to my physical body give thanks to God and he held this in his hand and gave thanks to God Gave thanks to God, the creator of all things good. Gave thanks to God, whose love provided. Gave thanks. Just, just a minute. Someone should tell Jesus he's only got five loaves and two fishes and that will not feed these people. What's he giving thanks for? That, that's almost... Everywhere in the scripture, the idea of giving thanks is not necessarily connected with what you can see or feel or touch or smell. You are giving thanks to God who is the author of all provision, giving thanks to God who is the source of all protection. And we give thanks to him, not necessarily wait for him to do something and then thank him for it, to thank him because he is who he is and is committed to always be who he is. And then it says he blessed it. He blessed the loaves and the fishes. And that takes us back to Deuteronomy 28. Um, some long time ago, we, we spent a long time on that, the blessing. And to put that into one sentence, the blessing was the, the, the presence of God empowered to bring about fruitfulness or, or multiplication or, or to give us superabundance. Blessing meant the superabundance of life wherever we're talking. And it talked a lot about the superabundance of life in our possessions, in our food, in, in our health, in our jobs, and so on. 
And so he held it, and he gave thanks and he blessed. It didn't take very long. I've taken much, much, much longer to explain it than what it took for him to do it. And still, there's only five loaves and two fishes. And what, 15,000 pairs of eyes are on this, what is becoming a ridiculous scene. 15,000 people are sitting there waiting to eat and they've been sat down in a way that suggests strongly we are about to eat. And Jesus has taken this that wouldn't be enough for a big man's hors d'oeuvres and is giving thanks to the Father and blessing. And standing in front of him are 12 very confused men who are wondering what on earth is going on. And then he breaks the bread, which under any normal circumstances, the host of a meal in a such a home there in the near Middle East would break the bread to declare where the meal can be eaten now. He's the first one to break the bread. Now the meal is underway. Breaking of the bread anticipates the meal. It's begun. Now, nothing has begun. We're still standing here. And then he broke further and further and put five loaves and two fishes, now broken up. He put some in the hand of every disciple. I, and I've, I've tried, I mean, Peter. Oh, well, John, James, Andrew, they were all fishermen. And fishermen, big old hands of the fishermen that could handle the ropes on the boat and the oars and these big, rough hands. And he puts in this little piece of bread and this little tiny chunk of fish. I mean, <laughs> if, if they ate it themselves, they wouldn't even know they've eaten it. It wouldn't begin to satisfy them. And then he tells them to go and give it to the people. What, what would make anyone in their right mind walk out toward all these people anticipating a meal and all you've got to give them is a little piece of bread and a piece of fish that will not satisfy the first person you meet? The, the only reason I can say that these chaps took the risk of being made absolute idiots in front of this crowd, to even suggest, to even think, to even go up to the first person with this, the only reason they did that was what the New Testament goes on to call the obedience of faith. If Jesus said it, then we will obey what he said because we trust his character. We trust who he is. We trust that he is the truth. And they went and they began to serve the people. And I don't know what happened. I mean, in terms of the process, all I know is that these men who came here for a day off are now servants or waiters at a divine banquet. And they never saw enough in their hand to feed anybody. Never. It was, and the only reason they could feed the people was they could keep on giving it away, but it was still there, or something like that. It doesn't go into details as to the how of it happening. We don't read they actually saw what happened except they, they seem to be feeding the people from an invisible source. And as they took, it became visible, I, something like that. 
because the people could have as much as they wanted. And I suppose, if I know these fellows, that after a while they caught on. They finally caught on that this bread that they had, this fish that they had in their hand, that they were actually feeding the people from the invisible love of God and power of God and blessing of God which had laid hold and permeated this bread and fish and so they had it literally an endless supply in their hands and they can begin to be bold and say second portions anybody wants some more come on come on there's plenty for everybody They, they were learning. See, remember, this is their classroom. This is their hands-on. This is what Jesus meant when he said to them, you give them to eat. They're going to do it under his authority and indeed within the power of his spirit. And they are learning. They're learning to give out from an invisible source a source that cannot run out, an invisible supply of love that today looks like food, looks like life to their bodies. And they're learning that you, under his authority and with the Holy Spirit, can take an invisible supply and it becomes material as you do it. But you would never see it till you do it. I, I believe they got a, a good hold on that. Do you remember in Acts chapter 3 when Peter, who of course had been one of these disciples in that classroom, Peter goes to that man, the blind, the um lame beggar, the gate beautiful of the temple. Do you remember the words of Peter to that lame man? He said, such as I have, I give to you. And taking him by the hand, he said, rise up and walk, which meant Peter believed that in some invisible sense, he had health to that man's body and bones, that in putting his hand out, he could actually impart that so that he commanded the man to do what he actually couldn't do in his natural, but already had been given him the health of God through the hand of Peter. These 12 men are learning to look through their senses to God's truth, because God's truth does not always, in fact, probably never, match up to our senses. Our five senses can only report on what's happening in this visible material world. God's truth is much bigger than that. What our senses report has an element of truth in it, but God's truth is absolute and eternal. And they were learning to look through what they saw, look through the appearance of impossible to God's possible and to act out of that. They were learning that. They were learning not to depend or even look to natural resources, but look to the resources of God's love that was pressing for entrance into the problems of life. And when it was all done, Jesus said, gather up what's left over. Now that's an amazing thing. What's left over? Yeah, they took uh, baskets, baker's baskets. They're pretty big size. And they went among the crowds and says, hey, you know, obviously you've got some left over here. Uh, and, and it says they came back to Jesus with 12 baskets. Each one of them had a basket that was filled and overflowing with bread and fish. Huh. 
That's amazing. That there was here enough for them to eat now. In fact, they, they ate of the wonder, miracle, whatever word you, the blessed bread that had actually happened in their hands. And now they sit down to eat themselves. And you say, what does that mean to us today? It means that we should read the Gospels all over again and realize these stories are told not merely to report of what Jesus did, but to show us that we are now of him, in him, and he's in us, and we do his works today, and we bring heaven's supply and abundance into the earth problems in which we and our fellow man lives. I know it's shocking to many persons, but the gospel that we believe from beginning to its end and its ongoing implementation, 100% is supernatural. Please, I care not of what denomination you are. We've got to get used to this. The gospel that we say we believe from its beginning in the incarnation, I say to you, my brother, my sister, You believe in the incarnation. Of course you do. Or you're not a Christian. That's foundational. That God became flesh, human, in the womb of the Virgin Mary. We believe that. That's foundational. But if that isn't, that's beyond a miracle. That's beyond a miracle. So, as I say, from the very, very beginning, that God should take on our humanity, not just a human body, our humanity, so that he was formed in the womb of the Virgin. His body was formed in the womb of the Virgin in a nine-month period, the same as you and I, and he was birthed through the birth canal and became a little helpless babe at the breast of Mary. That's a miracle. I say again, beyond a miracle. And he grew through toddler, through teenage. God entered into our human existence. God was tired and had to sleep at night. God in Christ was hungry. God in Christ needed to go to the well and draw the water. God in Christ had to fill out tax forms to the Roman government. God in Christ was a carpenter and had to take orders for gates and doors to give receipts, to go after people that didn't pay. It was one of us. I, I run out of words. But we believe this. If we're Christians, we believe this. And this is, I, I keep hesitating, it's more than miracle. And then we believe Jesus did these things. And we believe that he who is God gave himself voluntarily to suffer to the extreme and to die. And we believe that on the third day he rose again from the dead. You believe that. You're a Christian. You believe in more than miracles. And you believe that he was alive in a body that this planet has never seen before. But that body being a promise of our body in the age to come. You believe that. And you believe that he ascended into the other half of the universe. And you believe that he sent the Holy Spirit to dwell in our humanity as believers. You believe, look, everything that we believe as Christians is rooted in something a tad more than supernatural and miracle. So why... 
should we be surprised that Jesus would be teaching his disciples and through those disciples teaching us how to bring into our wretched, broken, pain-filled world the joy and the peace and the salvation of heaven in the spirits of human, in their minds and emotions, in their physical bodies and in their physical material needs. I say to all of us, wake up and realize the nature of our salvation. Jesus taught these men how they could bring God's supply into man's emptiness. And when he did go away, he said that the Holy Spirit would come and the Holy Spirit coming would actually be his coming into us, a new dimension, into us, into us, you and I together, both as individuals and as a corporate body of people, the Holy Spirit would bring the very person of Jesus into us. So says the New Testament, you and I, we are the body of Christ on earth. Can we get it? We are the extension of the living Jesus here on earth. And he continues to do his work here on earth. Only now it's through us. And we, like these disciples, act according to his authority and do what we do in his power. And it would be greater than anything they they saw in the Gospels. That's why he said, the works that I do, you will do also, and greater than these. Because to love one another as he has loved us, no, the disciples never could get that. Isn't that amazing? They could be involved in something like this, they could heal the sick, and they could, but they could never love each other. They, they were at each other's throats until the Holy Spirit came within them on the day of Pentecost, and then they began something greater than anyone on earth had ever seen, and that was loving one another even as God in Jesus Christ loved them. Everything that we're called to do, I mean, that covers the whole Christian life, loving one another as he has loved us, I look at that, I said, that's impossible. If you say it's possible, you're just parroting religiosity. It is impossible. Unless I realize Christ in me and I take that almost nothing that I feel inside of me and I begin to do it and I begin to act as if Christ indeed is in me and I find there is a flow of divine kindness and gentleness and patience and long-suffering. Love. I can do what I couldn't do. And, and I find that through me, through you, there does flow a life of his healing to the healing of persons around me in all dimensions of their humanity. And I do find that we can bless the smallness of our provision, we can give thanks to God that he is our provider. And our little provision goes a lot further than we ever dreamed. We can bless our little wage, give thanks to God that he is our employer. And we can give out of our little wage and watch that wage become more than we ever dreamed it was. We can live inside of this, giving from the invisible resources of God and find it turns into material blessing to those all around us and it comes back to bless us. 
It's time we stopped thinking that Jesus just wows us to prove how great he is and to realize that he lives inside of us to continue his work of compassion and love power to the world around us. Well, my time has gone, though I, I had more to say, but I, I trust this has opened your eyes. What else can I ask for? Now, Father, you who are the blesser, I bless you in the name of God who is almighty love, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, that you shall discover the endless resources of the Holy Spirit within you the endless authority of the name of Jesus as you shall go and bring heaven into your earth this day and forevermore. So I bless you. So it is. Amen. Malcolm Smith's ministry is dedicated to guiding believers into the reality of experiencing daily fellowship with the Father. This has been another message by Malcolm Smith. For more information and more teachings by Malcolm Smith, including a full catalog, please visit www.malcolmsmith.org.